0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Whiteboard podcast. Whiteboard is a podcast that invites recent design grads to be candid with faculty on their time as a student. These are the conversations that profs and students should have but can't, exploring the intersecting needs of students, faculty, the education system, and the job market as a whole. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining another episode of Whiteboard podcast. My guest today is Timothy Hoare. Timothy and I um, actually went to college together about 10 years ago here at Humber College. Tim is a two-time award-winning designer. He has worked with brands like Little Caesars, Johnson & Johnson, and Canadian Tire, to name a few. Tim is passionate about branding, logo design, illustrations, and motion graphics. Tim wants to create a place where designers and creatives alike can be open and honest about their experiences and share them with the future generation.
1: Yeah, happy to be on here. I'm happy to uh, to talk to people who have gone through or going through the same program and to see if I can give some insight or help them figure out uh, what's the next steps and what what it's like out here.
0: I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, what you're doing these days and what your role is.
1: Yeah, so right now I'm a senior creative and I work for a brand. So as you guys will know, when you come out of school, one of the first two options you'll get is if you want to work for a brand or an agency. Um, I've been doing mostly brand work, and that's currently what I'm doing, working for a software company. And that's been really, really fun. Um So I essentially my day to days are really crazy. Like they're kind of all over the place. Sometimes we'll do as something as slow as as minimal as like doing a PowerPoint deck. And then we'll also get to the point of, you know, building out design systems or doing a full on campaign or something along those lines. So there a lot is it can be crazy. It can go all over the place. So uh, it's kind of hard to define in like a really short sentence, like what it is you do day to day, especially when you work with a brand. I think with agencies, it's a lot more structured. Um, but yeah, that's essentially what, what I've been doing for the last uh, two and a half years.
0: You do a lot of different creative roles.
1: The reason I use the word senior creative is because you, as a designer, you, your our skills are f- are asked to be more you know you're supposed to know how to do web now you're supposed to understand ux you're supposed to know how to do motion graphics and all those things so it's kind of hard to say like oh it's only strictly graphic design there's so much more outside of it so i use the word senior creative but the actual title i guess it would be senior graphic designer
0: (laughs) i don't i just go with designer um because I, i i have the same problem of not really knowing not really being able to come up with a fair, simple term for it, this wide world.
1: It's hard to kind of put it into simple terms of always oh, just graphic design when reality, it's more like, you know, you're you're designing for content, you're designing for UX, you're designing for uh, different brands and clients under brand guidelines. So it's it can be a wide spectrum of things.
0: A lot of people know what UX are and they know what brand guidelines are. What do you mean by designing for content?
1: It's cool to have something that's really pretty, but it has to serve a purpose. It has to have some sort of function. Content is is king. I'm sure you've heard of this before. What I mean by content is king is without content, you're not designing anything. Essentially, what you, you can do is you can look at a piece of paper with a nice pretty picture, but if there's no content behind it, the content context, even with those two uh, alone, like it, it, there's no purpose behind the design. There's not, it doesn't serve a, a function. And when we're, lo- when we're talking about design and we want to sell design, that's one of the main things we really need to focus on is what purpose does this serve? And when you want to design for content, the content is what comes first. So let's use an example. Say I'm, you know, writing an article about a merger or an acquisition, something really you know out there. And in that merger and acquisition, I'm acquiring a larger company. Well, that's the content. The content is the acquisition. And what I need to do as a designer is how do I bring that to life and make it appealing to an audience, which my audience would be whatever that industry is and whatever that's being acquired. How do I make that relevant with design? So knowing how to do that, it really does start to set you apart from somebody who just has something aesthetically pleasing. When I'm hiring somebody who's young, I want to look at what their content skills are. And what I mean by that is not their copywriting skills. I want to see how you took that brief and I want to see where you thought the most important part of the content was and how you used your design to, to tell me that. Because I need to get that across with whatever design you're using, whether that's a, an image or a typography or something. Tell me what you. there needs to be a story behind what you're doing. So that's what I mean when I say you're designing for content. Does that make sense?
0: It totally does. I mean, I, I, I'm happy that we're unpacking the term because there's also um, content marketing, which is sometimes the same, but maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily the same.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, as your role as a designer, I do believe that you need to understand marketing. I think you need to understand how it works, uh, especially if you want to become a creative director. It's vital for you to understand how marketing works and um, how you sell your designs and stuff. That's, that's going to be actually a majority of it. So I think it's important to understand the marketing side of it. Um, and marketing and content do go hand in hand and design and content go hand in hand as well as design and development. So it's all part of like this big, happy family.
0: Yeah. Yes. Or sometimes not happy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, you can get lucky sometimes.
0: Yeah, that's very true. It sounds like, it sounds like you like, uh, where you work.
1: Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really happy. Um, I think the place that I work for, like, uh, the, the current role that I'm in, um, will, Inevitably, hopefully, change into a senior role, and I think with that senior role, that's um, we'll be able to do some really awesome stuff with the brand and and take it to a different level, a level that we haven't seen yet. And I think when you first start out, it's really important that I think we talk about it. When you first start out, a lot of the times you're going to be getting assets. And those assets are already created by another agency or they're already created by someone internally that are higher than you. And then all you're doing is either tweaking some text or you're adding some logos or whatever it is, you know, really minimal stuff. But my point, my point being is it's it's really important to understand how to do that well and understand how to do that correctly because I even still do that stuff in my in my day-to-day job. And the job I'm currently at now, uh, with the role being fulfilled, it's like that would be that would be great to take that kind of off my plate and then focus on higher picture stuff, but it's still super vital. So I I do think that, you know, I just wanted to make that sure for, for anybody who's coming out of school and they're going through this and you're in your first job and you're like, I hate the fact that I have no creativity on this. I can't give my ideas. I can't do that. Don't focus on that. Focus on how you can take the assets and how you can Make make something really good, even if it is simply like moving a couple uh, spaces around or adding some more white space. You'd be be so surprised at how many people will look at that and be like, "That looks so much better." And that little thing that you made, they're gonna remember that you did that. I kind of went on a tangent there, but uh, yeah, I, I just I really I was listening to the podcast actually, and I was hearing that from some of the students on the podcast, and I and I did think to myself, like, don't focus so much on the fact that you can't put your ideas in just now focus more on the idea that they've given you a role to do with the brand how do you take the brand and create something that's not only beautiful but it serves a purpose and it functions well like the user experience is good if you can do all three of those you'll get gold
0: even a little job can be turned into something that adds value to your career
1: I think all these jobs add value. I think when you send something to somebody, like if you're an intern and you're working in an agency and you get something back and they say just move this logo around, you you have that on your plate now. And it, then it's not going to come down to like oh like I can only move this logo in a certain amount of places for it to look good. What they're going to come down to is speed. They're going to see how fast you send that back. If you're on it and you're sending it back quickly, they're going to start sending you more jobs. Once you start sending more jobs and you're getting it back fast and you're doing what they say, pay attention to the details. That's what they're also going to want to see. If you're not reading your emails, you're not looking at the different points that they've asked, or you miss a step, and I'm going to tell this for all younger designers, if you're doing like a book or you're doing an editorial design and you misspell something or you miss it, believe it or not, a lot of the times, even though you have a content person, this comes back on you a lot of the time. And if you print it, Dear God, let me help you. Like, look, I'll yeah. I'll be the first to tell you, it's happened. Okay, it's happened on my watch. I've had printed material that was spelt wrong, and it, it's you know you will you because you're the last line of defense. So you kind of have to think about it like that. Like the contents come in, all the brief has come in. You're the last line of defense before you hit the printer. So you need to make sure that you have an eye on it. And even though it's not your job, if you become that person. And you can find those details, then you start to become invaluable. They're like, that's the guy. Then people start to notice. They're like, who's this Tim guy? He's the one that you know keeps sending me back the emails. He's the one that's causing the problems. <laughs> but uh, I do think it's, I think it's really vital. I don't, I'm really passionate about it because I don't want uh, students coming out of school and thinking to themselves like, oh well, you know, I'm only doing these tiny menial tasks, and I don't feel like my my creative um, ideas get to be used. But if you're if you're truly good at this, if you're truly a good creative, then you can take the small menial tasks and either use them for speed purposes, so you look like you're being efficient, or you can use them for uh, you know to 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 find a way to make the design more functional. And if you can find a way to make the design more functional by meaning where you know placement of text or whatever that is, it becomes valuable. It
0: really does. In a lot of roles, what's going to advance you is being the person that your boss can rely on to get it done.
1: It's exactly right, you know, because here's the motto that you should take as a creative going forward. Your job is to make other people's lives easier. If you can take that motto and run with it, that will take you so far.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, you know what? I, I, I truly feel that. I always say, uh, be someone who reduces the stress of the people around you. Rather than someone who adds to it,
1: a hundred percent. And it comes to the same thing when when you get into a senior creative role like myself, and you have to deal with junior creatives. It's, you know, you have to have you have to be able to show empathy. You have to be able to show uh, value criticism. Um, how would you do good? criticism, well, I, I I look at it as like a sandwich. So my top bun is I start with positivity. My meat is the criticism and the bottom bun is positivity. So you start with a positive, hit them with a the negative, end with a positive. It's the best way to give cri- a critique to a designer because the first thing you're saying is something you like about it. So that's going to make them feel good. And then when you go into the criticisms, it's not don't tear them down. There's no need to do that. But if when you get into your criticisms and you're talking about the things that you'd like to change, don't use the word you like you did this and i don't like this or things along those lines like kind of focus on we say well we should try this we should look at doing that maybe we could you know a maybes go a long way and then when you hit uh, at the end when you're done your criticisms make sure you end with thank you so much for doing this or um i really appreciate the way you had you dealt with these color this color scheme or whatever find a way to end on a positive and nine times out of ten you'll you know you'll be able to get what you want out of it without hurting someone's feelings or without making them go back to their desk going, "I hate this person."
0: made nice. some great feedback for uh, people managers and even instructors on how they can communicate with with um, junior designers. But be- I'll ask you this because you are in a supervisory role. Uh, what how can a junior proactively ensure that they are, you know, hitting the mark? How can they make you feel like you can trust them? Um, How can they come to you uh, before they start, while they're working, um, and before they submit uh, in in productive ways?
1: Asking the right questions.
0: What are those questions? (laughs) Well, it
1: does depend, right? But yeah, so it's asking the right questions. So I want to see from you that when you're looking at whatever the brief is that's coming down, or I'm explaining to you what the, the role is or what I need from you, the questions that I want to see from you are going to be asking the questions of: Did we think of this? Um, how does this work with this? If I get this file, what are the bleeds on it? What are the dimension sizes? Like, if I'm haven't given you any of that information, it does happen sometimes. You know, as a senior creative, you you do forget. Like, oh, I should have given them this. I should have given them that. But if you catch me, in those, and I I'm mean, not to say you're you're you know you shouldn't always try and catch the person for being wrong, but mm. it's just the attention to details, and that's what, how you ask the questions by really being focused listening to what it is I'm asking for and asking questions back that relate to what we're talking about. So I I think it's, it's, you know, pretty straightforward for a senior person. If I am working on something and I'm like, Oh, I just need, you know, a background change or I need, you know, a, a couple text formations or I need a couple slide decks to look at and I say, Hey, can you put this together for me? And it comes back from you and everything that I've sent you is not on brand. It's the colors are way off. It it just looks g- genuinely bad. And it looks like you haven't put the time into it then I'm going to say, okay, this person's either not ready or they they have no idea what I'm talking about or they didn't listen to me. And then the other thing is, if you come back with really good work, but it took you two weeks longer than it was supposed to, that's another problem I'm going to look at. I'm like, okay, well, you've taken way too long to do this. And then the last thing I'm going to look at is, are you copying this from somewhere else? Like if I find that you were taking Envato templates or you were you know, looking at Google Images or something and that was directly sourced from there, the reason that's such a dangerous thing is it gets the brand in a lot of trouble. If you pull something off of Google and you don't buy it, especially if it's like Adobe Stock or something, and you haven't bought any of that, and you take the watermarks out, whatever it is, and you put that into a into a project and send that to me, then that's a, like immediate termination. Like you can't do that kind of stuff. So that's the extremes. But I will say, like, if you want to uh, get someone in my role to consider you to start moving further it's, you're going to start thinking more about the brand and about, um, the client's brand. If we're working on a client's job, uh, and how that's going to translate to the work that we're doing, as opposed to working on something that you just think looks really good.
0: Mm -hmm. Tim, thank you. And I guess the other thing with using other assets is even if you don't get caught, like you're not, you're not getting any better. So if you cheat for five years, then in five years, you're no better than someone with zero years experience.
1: You don't want to get entangled in that. Now I, you know, there, there's definitely something to be said about taking inspiration from stuff that is, that's totally different. If you want to, it's what we do mood boards. It's why we'll do like a stylescape. Like it, you guys know what that is. So looking at that stuff, that will really help you kind of envision a style or, um, even even sometimes colors can express moods. Like they all have different moods of what the colors mean. So sometimes that mood might make you feel like maybe I want big bullpipe typography because I want to feel edgy or I want black and white photos with big red backgrounds and stuff to really like make it pop. And so there's ways with attitude and stuff that you can you can build out a design stylescape and it doesn't have to be beautiful because that's the whole point of those stylescapes and mood boards but if i can see as a senior that you sent me back something like that and even if it's not perked together perfectly but if i see that there's like an actual vision and i can see a streamline of designs that make sense then i'm going to say that person knows that person is thinking they're really thinking about it even if you miss the target like if you still have something that's cohesive i'm going to look at that and say okay like it's not you know it's not what i was envisioning but design is subjective. We have to remember that at the end of the day. This is all subjective. So what I might think looks good, you might not think looks good, right? So we, I can't always, just because I'm a senior creative doesn't mean that when I look at your design and I think you know of a different vision, it doesn't mean you're wrong. It means I, I have to open my mind and say, well, maybe we should look at this direction. Maybe that's not a bad idea. And then go from there. And sometimes it, it it does happen. I mean, sometimes it's really exciting. And then you end up kind of build, building something that you never thought of. And that's why I find junior designers to be really inspirational. I want you guys to to kind of remember that as you come out of here, like senior designers do look towards you sometimes to have the innovative ideas. Don't always think that we know everything because we don't. And a lot of the times we look towards the younger generation to build us something that might be a little bit you know, more on tone, right? Or something that's a little bit more um, exciting for an, an audience that we might not resonate with. I mean, I'm from an early 2000s, 90s baby, you know what I mean? <laughs> So yeah. for, for me, like, you know, what my appeal to me might not appeal to somebody who's 16. So I, I think and, and in this job, we, we have all demographics. Um, as a junior designer, like, don't feel like just because you can't give your voice now that you shouldn't try and express your voice uh, in a setting where it's comfortable. Now, if you're in a, in a situation where someone doesn't make you feel comfortable with you sharing your ideas, it's, an, it's a wrong job to be in. Don't be in that job. Being a job where your manager is has an open door policy and is willing to listen to you,
0: yeah, I, I, now that I think of it, I, I think I've always had supervisors who were really, really welcoming of of my input and always encouraged me to think more and never ever made me feel like I you know even when I made something that was garbage <laughs> they they <laughs> there was always some mentorship there. So I think I've been lucky. I hope everyone else is lucky.
1: Yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing, right? I mean, I think it's when you guys get to that position as senior creative. Remember this, you know, it's remember to be as opening and welcoming, and that you don't know it all, and that this junior might open your eyes to something that you didn't think was possible or didn't you didn't think about.
0: No one ever stops learning, and well, I mean, I, guess I suppose some people do. <laughs> I guess you do some hiring as well as um, supervising. So, do you have any thoughts on? You know what? What makes a powerful application? What makes a powerful interview? How should people should find their first jobs?
1: If I'm going to hire a, a junior designer, what am I looking for? So even going through the portfolio reviews with Humber, just looking at uh, at, at the talent that comes out of there, one of the main things you got to focus on in your portfolios aren't just necessarily like things that look cool. I want to see is there is there an actual like is there actually thought that's gone into behind this? Did you just slap together a portfolio because? you were like me and didn't do it until a week before portfolio reviews. And then you decided to do it and get it printed and the print shop was close. <laughs> so, you know, uh, take some care, take some time. I
0: got, I got bad news for you. We don't print them anymore.
1: Whoa, no. So is it, is it all, um, on iPads and stuff?
0: Uh, Oh yeah. Or just like online. Cause we had COVID, but, um, it's also like the industry very rarely do you go to a job interview with a printed book anymore. So that's
1: true. I mean, I, every time I mean, I've, I'm Sorry, still
0: encouraging I, people to print like some things just shine in print and they look not so great in digital. And I think editorial is one of those things. Um
1: Yeah, totally. I, I yeah, agree but, with
0: you. Yeah. Anyways, no, anyways. I, carry I, up.
1: No, <laughs> no, no, I, I forgot on. where I, we were. I, Let's just start over.
0: <laughs> well, well you were saying if uh if you if you were someone who left at the last minute and it doesn't look like there's any thought behind your pieces.
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be a red flag, right? So I think um, going forward, uh, if you're going to get into your... If I'm going to get a portfolio from somebody, which is obviously going to be a website, like, duh. Like, <laughs> uh, if you're if you're getting the, the website, um, I'm not expecting you to be a code expert, but I'd like to see that you understand it. I'm not expecting you to be a UX and UI expert, but I'd like to see that you understand it. Um, these are all things that you will learn as you go through with it. But I want to see that... There's something outside of design that you're that you're looking into as well, like whether that's marketing, that's UX, that's content, that's copywriting, whatever it is. I want to see something outside of your just your designs that shows me that you can think outside of it, because I know that um, there's two roles that you can get into, right? It's like you can get into the graphic designer role, you can get into the art direction role, and art direction's more about vision, and graphic design is more about the craft. But if you can do the craft really well, but you also have that strategic mindset behind it, it becomes really powerful, and it's something that we, you know, it's something that you can look at that and say, "Hey, I can mold that person to become a CD or an an ACD or something along those lines." Like the way that they show the vision is what's really important to me. Um, I'm not expecting you to, you know, be a Steve Jobs, but I, I do want to see that you've put some thought behind the designs that you work with.
0: It also opens up a freelance role if you if you can be. Uh, a maker and a thinker.
1: Yeah, definitely. With freelance, if you can have that mindset. I mean, with freelance, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to understand business regardless because you're going to have to run the business yourself. And the last thing you want to be doing is uh, sending revisions for the 25th time and not getting paid for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that's like, but uh, I've heard it happen.
1: <laughs> no? You managed to beat the beast early, huh?
0: I don't fuck around. People pay me. <laughs> you no. Know. I don't. I don't swear on this podcast ever. But when it comes to getting paid, I will swear.
1: Oh, really? Fair enough. Definitely. No worries. Well, we could just we could just block that one out. No worries.
0: <laughs> yeah, I might leave it. <laughs> but one of. But actually, now that you mentioned that, like not getting caught as a freelancer in that kind of scenario is very much akin to uh, what you alluded to earlier regarding understanding a project, reading the email, double checking the copy knowing exactly what's expected and asking the right questions when you don't. That's the exact same process with a client as a freelancer, um, really defining the deliverables and the timelines and you know all sorts of expectations. and the knowing how fast you work um, of course influences the price. Again, just like Do you were saying, so? even if you're working uh, in a brand or yeah with an agency, um, all of these same variables are at play even if you're freelancing.
1: I mean, I'd like to just quickly challenge the idea there that, you know, if, if you can do it faster um, that you get punished for it. Right. So it's like, if you're, you know, you can do something in an, in an hour,
0: just charge more.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's uh, the classic yeah, story, right? The, the girl who walked in, I think, I don't remember what company it was, but she drew a logo on a napkin and was like, there's your logo. And they're like, well, you know, you only did it in 10 seconds. And she's like, yeah, but it took me 10 years to figure it out. So yeah. it's, you know, don't, You know, sell yourself short. If you can get something done in an hour, then, uh, yeah, you could either just charge more or you could charge by project and say, okay, well, you know, this logo that I could draw up in 25 minutes or so, like, um, it's, I, I do it, okay this is the way I'll do it. I'll give you guys a secret sauce here. This is how I will do it. If I'm doing a freelance opportunity and I'm looking at how I want to charge the client, right? So if I want to charge the client, I want to look at their revenue. So if their revenue is over 200 million, I charge them, you know, 20 to $50,000 or something we're all known as. if they're under hundred, if they're about hundred million, then you go about 10,000 to $50,000. And then if you get into the revenue streams of like, you know, around 50 million, hundred thousand, 250,000, you kind of price it through that way. Look at their revenue and then you can charge them accordingly on their revenue. And it's like, well, hey, Tim, that sounds a little unfair. Like, just because they're making more money, why would you charge them more? Well, let me tell you guys, from experience, the people who have the most money are the best clients to work with because they don't ask questions all the time. They're just like, and they don't nitpick. They don't, you know, come at you like 24-7, like, well, I could get this cheaper for so and so. They just say, just do it and come back with a the bill. <laughs> they're like, just I just get it done. I don't want to talk about it and come back with with your concepts.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. Actually, that, that's my experience as well. There's there's a, there's a lot of different pricing models. I'll describe the one you just said as like the how much can I get pricing model.
1: Yeah, sure, fair enough.
0: Then there's value based pricing, whereas it doesn't matter how long it took to draw the Nike logo. What is it? What is the value of that to the client? And it's quite high. And then there's the um, um, product or deliverable base, deliverable base. So you say, well, you know. I'm doing this. I'm making a logo, and logos cost this is what I charge for logos, so there's the product based, and then there's hourly, which you know they all have benefits and problems. Uh, believe it or not, I mostly charge my clients hourly um and then there's you could do mixed models, right? Like I will price out you know meetings are at an hourly rate because I hate them, and uh, <laughs> i I charge what I charge for them, and if you want to pay me, well, that's fine. And and then sometimes the deliverable will be one amount, and then every meeting will be billed hourly. So it's not, you know, there's many different ways to bill as a freelancer.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And it kind of comes back down, uh, circles around to the idea of like, how do you deal with a difficult client? And I think there are times where I think you have to be able to say, no, you know, you have to look at it and say, I'm going to fire this client because it's not working out, even though that the, you know, the price might be right and they always pay and whatever sometimes just for your own mental sanity, it's not worth it to go through it and you just need to drop it. And sometimes people are unrealistic. You know, I've had situations where I let a client go because they we were on round like vision, I think it was like I think we we're almost close to like round 60 or something like that. And I was getting to a point where I was like, I just don't think you know what you want. And I might not be the guy for you because I feel like we've gone through this enough. You know, we're way past where we we said we were going to be by the time this project was going to be done. Um, so what I did was I refunded him half the money because I'm going to take the money that I worked on the time that I worked on, gave him half the money back and called it a day. And he was pissed and he wrote a terrible review and he was all mad. But at the end of the day, uh, sometimes it has to be done. And so don't be afraid. Like if you really feel like this person's just not realistic, it's okay to drop the client.
0: Yeah. It hurts though.
1: It does, but it's not going to ruin your career. I mean, I'm still doing just fine. So I can't say it's happened a bunch of times, but it has happened once.
0: Interesting. I guess that's the benefit of the uh, hourly billing. Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> there you go. So just charge you know, hourly.
0: You'll have already had their money. Well, you know, I I, I didn't I didn't know we'd get into this, but the truth is I have almost always billed hourly, except for something that is a discrete deliverable, such as a logo. I'll figure something out based on you know what I think it's worth, the value of that to this individual client. I mean, you can go
1: if you're taking like not, you know, if you're working for a company, you're doing salary, but then you end up working 16 hours a day. You're not getting paid for those extra hours outside of the eight hours that you work. So, you know, for hourly, you could you could make quite a lot. But then it comes back to the idea, like, if you do it really fast, what happens then? So
0: charge more. Charge more. I I was charging a third of what I charge now. I I don't know. Roughly because I was fucking slow.
1: Now, let me ask you, Do you have you noticed that since you've upped your price, that your client base is a lot more comfortable with it, as opposed to when you were charging a lot less, you'd get a lot of client base that were asking for way more?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. Like my clients have grown from the store around the corner to enterprise level, like biggest companies on the planet level companies. Um, and you just ask for more and they don't bat an eye. I, it's very strange.
1: It's wild to me. So yeah, um, you guys coming out of school and stuff, like, it's actually kind of insane. Like the, the, When you work for larger corporations, they trust you to do your job. Isn't that wild? Because what you'll notice is when you're in the industry, you have to constantly explain your job to people. And a lot of the times, it's the only job I've ever met where other people who don't do your job tell you how to do your job better. Like it's it's super frustrating but if you're in working for a brand or something like you'll have to send out your designs to a marketer or to um someone who's above you that's in marketing somehow and they'll have all these comments about how they think it will look better it's like corporate design right and a lot of the time it doesn't it looks really bad (laughs) a lot of the time it does and that you it's amazing to me that if this if the roles were reversed and i was telling a marketer how to market that would never happen they would be so angry about it they'd be like who the hell are you to tell me how to do my job like i've been doing this for 10 years you've been doing it never so how do you get how do you get off on telling me what to do but they will It's the roles are reversed. It happens all the time. So be prepared for that. You always have to constantly, it's almost like you have to be the defender of design, you know, you have to defend why you're worth something.
0: Yeah. 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 You you know what? Like I feel, I feel like that could be mitigated with any, any technique you can deploy to build stakeholder engagement and agreement and buy-in just really low key, questions along process like don't harass clients but like a recent project i was working on it was like basically a flowchart that was interactive so imagine like buttons that are also flowchart icons and with labels and all kinds of things just like sending a couple different buttons with a couple different um color palettes and font choices flicking them to the client and say hey before i make a hundred of these for this website here's some options. like you know
1: yeah that's awesome man. Uh, that's uh, that's really cool actually. Like the idea of uh, an interactive flowchart is really uh, is really interesting. I mean I'm sure it's, I know it's I've seen it before but it's really cool. Like what a fun project to work on.
0: Yeah well it wasn't it wasn't my idea but I got asked to make it and I was <laughs> like, Wait, let's do it. Uh but, but so by the way if anyone's ever wondering like how how is front end dev useful um for a graphic designer um it will land you jobs like that which maybe you don't want them. Um, but maybe you do
1: love to jump on that as well. I be the designer that sends the correct files to development, understand how to name your files, how to put them into the right file folders, how to export properly. Like you can't, so you have this beautiful image, right? Image comes into you. It's like two gigs. If you export that two gigs, your website load is going to be so slow, especially if you have like 12, 20, 50 of them, whatever it is. You want to actually you want to find a way to export them by still keeping the quality, but having the image resolution or the file size really low, so that way that the the website loads really fast. You have really good load time, and then it also passes WCAG. That's another thing designers need to understand: understand WCAG, understand how that works. What is accessibility design? How does accessibility design work? And then understand the the contrast that gets you AAA status. So these things are you know part of when we're talking about development and front end development, especially um, learning how to speak the language is really vital. And if you can be one of the designers that gives perfect files, those guys are going to love you. And when those guys are happy, they're going to go the extra mile for you when you want to do a project that they don't know how to do yet. And it, it I, this is something I deal with daily. I constantly want to give the guys that work at, in dev all the perfect files. So what they come back to me and I say, like, hey guys, let's build an interactive world on the web, and they're like, sure, man, <laughs> you know, because they're like, yeah, like let's do it, because if we're gonna go through it, we want to go through it with with Tim, and that's you know that's how you you want to be. So yeah, definitely um, take the time to understand. And if anybody wants, you know, hit me up, and I'll send you an example of what a good file would look like, like what a good dev file would look like. I'm happy to share that with anybody, because I think. You know, it's really important to get the help. Like, I I would have loved to have had those ex- um, any external resources I could have got coming out of school. Um, not to say I didn't have them, but uh, I, they weren't as widely available as they are now. So for me, it's like I would have loved to have talked to somebody in the industry at the time or been able to get my foot in the door at a at a larger agency and stuff. I had to claw my way through to get to where I finally got to. But um, yeah, so definitely reach out if you need any help or anything. Like, I'm happy to to talk to anybody about it and show them, you know, what it takes.
0: Thanks, man. If if you if you send me those files, I'll I'll make use of them for sure. <laughs> you can't steal my files, bro. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, you post them somewhere and send me the link of where uh, people can see them. Uh, but you know, I think even if you sent what a what a good um, export for dev looks like, I think that will vary by team and and industry. So suppose you're someone who doesn't care about digital, you're a print person. Um. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with your pre-press crew and your print text. They need things a certain way. And you know, you can't be yeah, putting PNGs in your InDesign files because for a poster like, and you know, the, the thing is, again, it just comes down to asking the right questions. And I know sometimes it's like, well, I don't even know these are unknown unknowns. You don't even know what question to ask, but just say like, hey, I wanna make sure, here's what I'm working on. Here's what the client needs. Uh, is there anything you over in dev or is there anything you over in prepress need me to do to make your life easier? Just ask. If you can restaurant and say, I'm allergic to shellfish, you know, you can, you know, you can. <laughs> do you know what I mean? The, you know, because the kitchen needs to know, right? So you yeah, can sure. Say, hey, I don't know about web dev. What do I need to know to do this job better? Um, people are only going to appreciate that.
1: I I could not agree more. I I, absolutely uh, true. Do not be afraid to ask questions. You're not going to be. You're not asking stupid questions. I'd rather you ask me a question that is questionable than us have to go back and look at a mistake that you've made because you didn't ask the question. That's a much bigger problem. In terms of uh, running back quickly to press to print press. So I also I worked in a print shop um, for a long time as a uh, print manager there or a production manager for for a long time and then project manager. And uh, I will say the one thing from designers that I got a lot of the time that I'd really like to to put out there, package your files, okay? (laughs) If we're in pre-press and you don't package your files, let me tell you what happens. All the links from your InDesign, because 90% of the time, your bleeds are incorrect. So you (laughs) don't have the right bleeds for our press. You don't have yada, 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 whatever it is that the pre-press guys need. You don't have it. Trust me. So when you send me a file, I'm going to want to open your file to make sure that I can export it into the correct bleeds, to the correct size, whatever it is it is. Um, And you send me the file and there's no links and there's no fonts. Well, guess what? I can't open your file. And then I have to ask you to send me that. And then I I can't tell you how many designers I was shocked. I'm like, you don't know how to package files. You work for a million, like billion dollar company and you don't know how to package files.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So please package your files. They didn't have David Barkworth.
1: <laughs> oh my God. You know what? He was harsh, but he was a legend. And oh, I, I have always packaged my file since.
0: Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, man. So, okay, let's, I also worked in prepress, So like for me, top 10 mistakes. Yeah. Just, just not using package, which is weird because if you use package, then your other mistakes would not be right. It would not happen. Not understanding bleed using PNGs well, anything, any non CMYK format missing fonts, um, not understanding DPI. Oh my God, yes. They don't understand it. Oh, it's 300 DPI. Yeah, but it's one pixel by one pixel. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's just gonna be a smudge. You know, uh, stuff like that. I, 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 you know, and ask questions. Yeah, because the only person who looks bad is your instructor, which is me. So if you hate me, (laughs) ask questions. You'll make me look bad and help yourself.
1: <laughs> Guys, don't do that to Eric, okay? He's a good guy. It's like, Come on. But it's, it's Are you true. Professor Forrest?
0: No, I Eric is fine. I, Professor I Forrest. Love it. That's my dad. That's my it dad. It
1: sounds so sweet. <laughs> Professor Forrest. is uh, awesome.
0: I don't like any, I don't like any, I don't value things, I guess. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Or
1: cut that out. Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, uh, yeah, definitely from, from pre-press. So it, you're not, if you're working in a brand or you're working in um, an agency, you will still deal with print. Don't think that's not going to happen. It absolutely will happen. So you definitely don't think that you don't need to know uh, print design, you do need to understand print design. And if because a lot of the times these companies they want brochures or they'll do a trade event and they want roll-up banners and they want you know all the um all the trade show stuff that you need like table runners and everything it's slipping my mind right now but you yep. you know lanyards and all that jazz right yep, so yep, yep. you need to understand how that's going to work
0: eye clips mugs water bottles bags you got it
1: you got it yeah yeah so it's just like the, the list goes on right thanks Eric um but I think you, what you want to look at too is. I, I will also be sending files like international. like Currently right now I'm sending international files to uh, America to work on, uh, to send out a banner that we're doing an event out in America. So it's like, okay, you need to understand how they work in a printing press. And we're all very similar. Like if it's either litho um, or flexo graph, whatever it is that the, the printing press is, most of them are litho now. Um, we're mm-hmm. getting into real technical stuff, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, most of it's litho anyways. Point being is, um, if you're going digital, or if you're going onto the pre-press, you know, that could also affect how it looks, right? Because obviously everything on litho is always going to be better. So sometimes those questions are important. Like, are you guys just a digital press? Like, are you just a mom and pop shop? Or do you guys have a litho? Do you guys have the big machines, the ones that will get me the exact colors that I want? So, um, you know, like we're always, the main theme of this seems to be around asking the right questions, right? Like, so how does that make you a really good designer? Um, and then going back to the actual file format, when you package your files, it packages all the fonts and links. And if there's errors in your InDesign file, if you, when you package them, it will tell you, hey, you have all these problems. And then you need to go back and make sure that you have a green dot at the bottom that says no errors, yeah. green dot.
0: You're good yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah, you know. And the other thing with a, a good package is that if there's anything you didn't anticipate, the prepress folks can usually fix it for you something else to yeah. consider if you give them what they need, then you won't even ever know that there was a problem if they have a good team.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm i uh, I'm still of the sound mindset that perfect files is uh, is the perfect way to go. So if I can be as perfect as possible and that the guys at the print press don't have to touch them, then I've done my job well. So that I like measure my job based on how happy those guys are. And if they come back and they're like, what the hell? I'm like, uh Oh, yeah. we got a problem. <laughs>
0: yeah you're right you're right i mean i'll give you a really low-key example of when you can't give them the right file so to speak so hit me with it if you're working on a, a billboard and uh it exceeds indesign's max uh max dimensions but so let's say it's like 50 feet by 30 feet you have to make the art you have to make the page size half scale and double the resolution so um when those guys get that file they're going to have to change things just Just, that's just the nature of the beast, right? But you still have to know how to double, you have to know how to do 600 DPI correctly.
1: Yeah, you also need to understand the scales, right? Like so yeah. I uh you know, just a little short brief of my career. I originally went into signage. So I started right out of school getting into signage and understanding the functionality behind the designs that we create. How do they work when people use them? You wouldn't believe like how important wayfinding signage really is because it's what people use to direct them where they are. So it's it's vital. It's it's a, it's like the classic um it's like the classic uh, study case for user experience. So if I have a a sign that's in the wrong space and someone that can't find where they're going, then I've done a bad job and that's a bad user experience. And they can't find where they're going, blah, blah, blah. So when I started in signage and then I went into printing and then went from printing, I went into web and then from web I went into where we're currently in now, which is kind of like uh, a hybrid role of web and design and, and creative direction and all that wonderful jazz. So I think. Learning those steps and like actually getting your hands on the product and understanding how it works and then how it functions was a major lesson for me in the way of design thinking. Like, how does design thinking work, and how is UX important? Um, so I, I think maybe we'll just jump into that. Like right now, um, talking about why you need to know UX and UI. How much do they talk about it at school? Like, is that something that they're, they're telling them all the time? Like this is vital or is this kind of like a vague subject? Like it was at our time. Like, what is it? How is it right now?
0: Vague subject. Yeah. I remember learning Dreamweaver and being like, why am I doing this? Oh Um, yeah. You know what? You know what, Tim? I I will answer your question, uh, but I also want to say something. You, you took something that seemed simple, like, designing signs, right? So it says washroom and the arrow goes that way. And you thought about it in terms of a big picture. It's UX thinking in in terms of like environment and how does someone feel when they need to go to the washroom and where is their head at and are they on their phone? Like you took something that was like seemed simple and you kind of saw the bigger picture, um, which is what you mentioned people should be doing very, very early on, right? You're given this small job, but if you can think about how it's not a small job, um, then that will sort of elevate you in your career. Um, and we were struggling for examples, but I feel like that's one.
1: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a great way to kind of, the perspective is really important, right? So it, it's outside of, um, my brain is basically insane. Like it jumps a hundred miles an hour. I'm sure you guys are probably here for this podcast that can go from one thing to another thing to another thing. But the way the way I can kind of, know, pull all of them together. I, I constantly think about what it comes down to interaction. It all comes down to human interaction. So how do people use your designs, whether that's in wayfinding signage, whether that's in print, whether that's in web, everything that we've covered today, and whether it's a mobile blah, blah blah. how do how do people interact with what I make? And is it giving the message that content has put in front of me? And if I can get those down and I can check those off the box, And we've really created something that has power behind it. And it has a voice and it has a vision and it has a strategy. And all those things are really vital because it becomes rememberable. And once people remember who you are and they remember your brand, they begin to trust your brand. And as soon as you build trust with the clientele, that's when you have them.
0: Right. I guess maybe one example of those things all coming together is uh, the Apple Unbox experience. Oh, for sure. It's digital, it's tactile, it's, it's marketing, it's branding, it's experience, it's content.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's a perfect example. I mean, even down to the finer details of how the box is printed and what kind of material they use for the box so that it feels high quality, it feels high end. You're not questioning the price point that you just paid for it. You know, you're thinking yeah. to yourself, you know, I open this box thinking, wow, like look how simple and clean the design is. They must really be ahead of the pack as their you know inner uh, their AI chips that they're using inside of their phones are the same that we use in interact and same uh, in Intel and it's like all over the place, right? Like the guy who makes the chips is the same guy for everybody. So yeah. it you know it's not like they're um, they do have technology that is pretty incredible, but it's not to say that it's so advanced. Um, that it's nothing outside of what we see in other phones. It's just their presentation and branding is what screams, elegance and luxury. It's the same with Nike, you know, like a lot of Nike clothes and the materials that they use is not far off from a reebok. But the reason that Nike is so memorable is because of their brand. If Nike was to make a hotel, I think we could all tell you what Nike's hotel would look like. If the Hyatt was making a a shoe, Nobody would know what the Hyatt would look like because the Hyatt is a logo and Nike is a brand.
0: Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm already like seeing a Nike hotel in my brain.
1: You you know immediately what that would look like because they they spend so much time on their brand.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you ask though uh, if we teach uh, UX/UI. Yes. And I teach a form of UX. You know, we only have one semester, mm-hmm. so we cover and a little bit of design thinking. Um, and thinking about wh- where is someone at when they're using a website? What are they thinking? What are their goals? What are their objectives? And then it's there's a, a deployment aspect of that knowledge through Figma, which I suppose would be uh, a UI um, uh, expression or learning expression, so yeah
1: the reason why I think it's so important for designers these days is we're starting to see the emergence of AI coming out and doing things like illustrations that are better than yours. And they're coming up with design concepts that are better than yours. And it's don't be scared about this kind of stuff, okay? This is a good thing for us. This means that we get to not have to do that now. And if someone wants 100 iterations of something, this is perfect now for the client that doesn't know what they want. Great. Here's like 100 different ideas from AI. Choose one. And then we can build from there. So this is a good thing. You know, it's great for mock-ups, it's great for uh, style guides and all that. But the, the point being is, as we see these emergence of AIs, and we're starting to see a lot of AI take over the classic role or the, the smaller menial tasks of design, it opens us up to, what are we now valued for if we can't do our illustrations if we can't do our designs and this machine does it better than we do what can we do well if you understand ux and ui design i can promise you if the machine starts understanding humans and is sentient guys we got much bigger problems in design okay (laughs) we got we got lots of issues so if you can understand human behavior and the way that people interact with things and the ways people think um, the Design of Everything, uh, Everyday Things by, uh, by what is his Norman, what's his last name? Do you remember his last name is?
0: Norman's his last name. Don is his first name.
1: Oh, Norman. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, great book. You know, it's another really great book to look into uh, for the way uh, that people think. So if you can understand that the way someone behaves when they interact with your app, like some of the best UX people I know are, are writers because they understand how people interact. And so I think it's really important to kind of, uh, as a designer, to to make sure that you understand how, that, how that's going to work within your landscape and understand like, okay, well, if my value is going to be more about thinking and more about strategy and more about critical thinking in terms of design and how creative is going to help solve the problem, then I need to understand how people are going to actually use this. And it might look great, but does it serve a purpose? Does it function? Does it do what I am intending it to do? I, it's it's so vital, I think, to really kind of dive into what UX and UI is, uh, and and how that works. And if you know, if you want to even go even further and become a UI designer, like there's some really exciting stuff you can do in UI.
0: You know, you know, it's funny you say that uh, writers make good UI uh, UX uh, designers. I, I used to have an assignment in my web design course where students had to pick an excerpt from a work of fiction that taught them something about the human experience which made them better designers. And I would give an example, I think I took one from uh, uh, Anna Karenina where um, the main character is talking about how they were reforming government on behalf of the peasantry, but they weren't doing it in a way that the peasantry wanted. And so of course there's a huge lesson here about uh, effective user research and blah, blah, blah. But honestly, Tim, like nobody got it. People were like, "What do you mean? I they don't talk about graphic design in in movies." So, <laughs> so uh, it just, it, it, I think it was a little bit too meta. I think that would be more like a fourth or you know third year UX thing. But I I think what I'm trying to say is I 100% agree with you. People who understand narrative, yes, yes, journey map in a way is like the true story of of the. Uh, design experience right so you
1: could take a journey a user journey map and you can you know cross examine it with the script and you could see so many similarities on the same thing like the plot of a story versus an actual journey map with with um, a, someone's behavior with an application like you'll see a lot of the similarities in between the two there's a kind of harmony there because it's not that it's not so complicated you know like us as people we generally use things the same way. Um, I think there was a study a long time ago about the, uh, the swiping motion and the pulling down motion and how it's a natural instinct with our thumb to make that motion happen that, you know, you guys to sort of remember like you know, 20 years ago, this kind of, this stuff wasn't didn't happen. There was no such thing as that swipe motion. You know, like that was something that had to be discovered. And these are natural tendencies. They're their natural tendencies that we we will use and we will um, you know, th- the way that we interact with things is is more of a natural side of things. So, yes, understanding the narrative, understanding how uh human behavior works, all of this stuff is is really going to help you on your journey as a designer and it's also going to give you more value. It's going to make you start to think About things a bit more deeply, you're not going to be so attached to a design because it's beautiful. You're going to be more attached to designs that that uh, give a message, um, and you'll start realizing that you care more about the strategy and less about the aesthetic. You'll start to care more about the you know. You'll start caring more about revenue. These these you know, a lot of designers I meet, they're so scared to talk about money. They're so scared to to understand finance and. You guys like if you want to be a CD you gotta understand this stuff you know you got it's it's more important for you to be building relationships for you to understand how to talk to executives it's more important for you to have a vision and a strategy than it is to be the master of your craft I would actually say like the master of your craft is probably the last thing you need to become a creative director I think if you want to be you know uh, considered for the role the first thing you you'll want to be doing is are you building relationships? And I know a lot of us designers, we we kind of cringe at that right? We're like, oh we're we're introverts. we don't want to talk to people. And the truth is if if then maybe you need to reassess if that's the role you want. you deal with people. and when you deal with people, you have to understand empathy. you have to be uh, you have to put your own feelings aside sometimes and you have to learn to control yourself <laughs> when, you're, when you're talking to people because dealing with people is a full-time job. And uh, you also have to have the large picture. you have to learn how to delegate your time well. So you have to know how you know how are you perfectly whelmed? I guess as Adam Morgan would put it, uh, he's as the executive creative director of Adobe, genius guy. He's got nine great steps to be creative director. I'd say definitely check it out if you can. But um, <clears throat> yeah, part of that that speech is for him is you know like these things are top of the line that you want to look at, top of the the, the top of the list. And if you're thinking that. They're using my work all the time. That uh, my work is always the one that gets sold, or I have been here for retention purposes for nine years plus. I should get the CD role. That's not that's not going to make you a good creative director. What it makes you a good creative director is understanding business, understanding finance, understanding how the re- how it uh, uh, directly affects revenue, because you're going to need to make those financial goals. That's what your job is as a creative director. You have to direct the creative department, and you also are responsible for making money, because that's what mm-hmm. we do. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the other thing is um if if you try to be the best designer so that you could be the creative director, then think again because if I'm the VP, why the hell would I lo- want to lose my best designer?
1: No, that's absolutely correct. I mean, it that's that's just it, right? Because if you're only talking about the craft and you're mastering the craft, then they're just going to say, "Well, we'll just make you a senior creative and we'll just pay
0: more." It's like taking the team captain and promoting them to the coach. It's like no.
1: Yeah, 100%. It it makes it makes zero sense, right?
0: Tim, what are some of the um, content deployments that you've worked on recently, or that you're seeing recently that are inspiring to you?
1: So the one piece of content that I picked up recently that has really been running through me a lot was actually uh, the it was a it was a I guess it's a memoir but not really for Rob Eigner uh, Bob Eigner the guy who runs Disney um, yep. the CEO of Disney and he wrote a book called The Ride of a Lifetime. And I just finished that book, and I thought it was amazing. Like he's a guy that runs a company full of creatives, and the way he thinks is exactly how you would want somebody as a CEO of a creative company to think. Uh, and I just found him—I found his all his content extremely interesting uh, in terms of mergers and acquisitions, like how he acquired Pixar and how he acquired Marvel and. Um, so those are the larger acquisitions and how that directly affects the revenue of Disney and how we managed to pull them out of a hole. That's really cool. I mean, those are things that I'm really passionate about that's outside of the creative industry, which is it's still kind of a part of it, but it's more along the business side. I kind of find myself diving into a lot of business and leadership books because I'm really starting to think about my career outside of a senior creative, like going into the more as a CD, ACD, ECD, whatever it is. I think I'm kind of starting to push my brain into those areas. So I'm starting to absorb a lot of content around strategy, around vision, leadership. Uh, and that stuff is really interesting to me. I find it really, really, I find I get very passionate about people, about empathy, because my job, like essentially, that's what my job is. It's it's all about people, about how people interact with my, my work, how people use it, how people's lives are better made because of it. So these are all things that I find very passionate because that's why we do what we do, right? Like we're we're in this job because we are here to make a difference.
0: I think something that you keep coming back to is design is really about people and about people and their stories and whether that means learning what content people need to see or how they need to see it or whether it's knowing what questions to ask your, your boss or knowing um, you know, what questions to ask the production folks. And something interesting about AI is that, at those intersections of, of people and disciplines, I don't know if AI is ready to fill those gaps. Even in the even in the long term, we'll see. So more and more, I find the way I add value as a designer is not necessarily in the the pixels that I put up on a screen, but in my people skills.
1: That's it's, it. Business is people. Design is for people. It's all about people. So you need to understand how your voice is translated to people. And if you can understand that, then, you know, you have a, you have a pretty big leg up because it, sometimes it takes years to understand how that works and how, and how your voice is being heard by an audience. Like if these aren't easy things to, to just grasp because there's no direct evidence a lot of the time as to what, if what you're doing makes sense or not. And you have to trust yourself and you have to trust your team, which means you have to trust people.
0: Yeah. And, and interact with them. Like, Mid-Journey can give you 100 pieces of concept art, but it can't have a productive conversation with the client about their market and how we're going to change it, um, at least not yet. And it can't take that and put it into a, you know, um, a 200-page perfect bound booklet, four-on-four, um, four, uh, you know, with bleed all around, in a four-end letter. These are all people problems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's stress this now, right? For everybody that's listening, like guys, AI is not going to take your job. Okay. <laughs> well,
0: it's going to take people's jobs. I think. You think it's taking most people's jobs? It's going to take a job from a concept artist for sure.
1: Yeah. So in terms of conceptual art, um, maybe, but uh, we also do have to remember that, you know, the guys that hire conceptual artists are either like AAA firms uh, for games or people like Disney or, or you know, Lucasfilm, whatever it is. And they're going to retain their artists. They're not going to dump you for an AI because they want something that's custom. These guys have been conceptual artists for years. Uh, What does that mean for the people who are coming out of school as conceptual artists? Yeah, that that could be an issue, definitely.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's kind of, kind of, not entirely, but it's comparable to um, the democracy other tools. Like, let's say, even something as simple as WordPress, right? Um, Walmart's not going to run their website out of WordPress, but your local dentist will so all the people who are HTML, CSS, JavaScript folks, they're not going to lose Microsoft as a client, but they are going to lose the restaurant. But the restaurant, you know, on the corner, may never have had the money to pay a, 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 front, a full stack developer in the first place. So there could be something like that where AI fills, a, creates a new niche, and fills that new niche, which results in a you know a net change of, of zero. Or sorry, net positive change. We'll see.
1: Yeah, I love I love how you you use that. Yeah, absolutely, positive change. I will hundred percent agree with you. And the reason I say that is the same thing. Like this restaurant that won't pay you what you want to be paid as a developer because they don't they they don't have the capital to do so. That's a good thing for you. You don't want that client anyways. You want to be paid what you are worth, and you your value will increase because that means there's going to be less fakes. So AI is going to take a lot take a lot of that part of the job. And then you'll be able to be, you know, be able to focus on bigger picture stuff, which will make you more valuable in the future. Um, I do want to talk about the fact that AI could create more fakes in the industry. And when I say fakes, I mean, people who will use them in their portfolios and say, I did this. That is definitely something that I'm not sure how we're going to mitigate. I wonder if there's going to be some sort of metadata tag that comes with every mid journey file or something that says this was created in mid journey so that, you know, a CD or someone looking at a portfolio will say, okay, I know that, that you didn't make this. That's kind of something that I foresee is that could be an issue. Like we'll we'll end up being in an era of people just kind of faking their jobs because they can. Uh, I but this happened.
0: That- i sorry to interrupt. I saw a headline. I did not read the article. I saw a headline saying that China was going to look at requiring every AI generated photo. So I believe photorealistic photo have be be watermarked as AI.
1: Yeah, you know what, that that would be good, right? Because that would be like, okay, so then we can differentiate between what's AI and what's not. And then the other question is like the rights to it. So if we keep talking about, you know, AI is taking a style from another artist, does that artist deserve the rights? Like if this was the music industry, you know, this would have already been shut down so fast, but for some reason, because it's in the artistic industry, like it's not as important. So I don't really get that. Uh, that's just kind of my two cents or my old man take on AI. But the uh, opposite side of it, when I always try and look at these things and to try and find a positive into what what's so important, and I can't help but see that the positive overrides the negatives. And with AI, about how much time I'm going to get back, and how much time I can now spend. On things that are going to create more value for the company that I work for, and that they're not going to fire me if I'm making the money, guys. I mean, that's that's the main thing. Like, they're not going to be like, well, let, let me replace it with this AI machine that I don't know how to use, that doesn't do anything for my brand. I can't throw my logo into it, and it will just create an entire you know brand for me. Not yet, at least. So um, that's kind of useless and a lot of these companies that are big, you know, the ones that are in the in the billions or 100 million dollar revenue wherever it is, they already have a massive brand, they already have all these brand guidelines that are attributed to it. They have a style, they have a voice, all that stuff. So the AI is not going to know that and it's not going to be able to tell itself, okay, well, AT&T has a certain look and feel, so I'm going to make sure all of this work that I'm doing is exactly to that that look and feel and then it also hits the right audience blah blah it's just it's just not possible not yet at least so there's there's a lot of positives in ai that i foresee but yeah the couple of negatives um, definitely for conceptual artists i i could totally see the point being made i also wonder what happens with uh content writing or like copywriting and stuff if you can just get chat GP, GPT to do it what does it mean for universities that's kind of what i'm really scared about with universities is like Okay, so now we can write an entire essay in three seconds, and there's like a couple minor tweaks that you can make, but it's basically perfect.
0: Yeah, I read an article called "The Death of uh, High School English." Uh, I think it was in the Atlantic uh, by Daniel Herman. What the, the true lament is not so much that people are cheating, but um, like you said, the best UX thinkers are thinkers are writers, and if you don't train your ability to write, like let's face it, your essay on Shakespeare, nobody cares. It was never about <laughs> it was never about Shakespeare your prof has read everything that could be written about Shakespeare and everything that could be written about Shakespeare probably has been written. It's it's about, it's for you to learn how to think about people and think about their behaviors and spot patterns and come to conclusions and, you know, dream up beauty from um, a human resource, uh, which is what we do as designers. And so the, I guess the I guess kind of the problem is the the dystopia of where people just lose sight of the exercise, the value of the exercise, and only see the final product, and we just get shitty at everything.
1: Yeah, I mean that's yeah exactly. I, it's definitely a concern, right? Like the the basic idea of like the fact that cursive writing is like extinct now.
0: It's sad to see concept painting go away. It's sad to see cursive writing go away. It's sad to see. Um, essay writing go away Um, but i actually don't necessarily care about those outputs or the the human know-how for those outputs i'm sad to see the thinking that produces them go away so what when your professor asks you to write an essay about whether or not lady macbeth was a hero or a villain um your professor doesn't actually care what you think on that subject they just want to know that you're using your brain to wrestle with this question so that when you have to wrestle with another question, um, you've trained those mental pathways. When an instructor asks you to, it's as much about training you to think, how to ideate, right? Um, Give me 50 thumbnails, give me a hundred thumbnails. They want you to have that moment where you learn the power of exploring ideas and the methods of exploring ideas, the tools, To create something from nothing. And AI is taking that power from us. If you rely on AI to get the job done, it doesn't matter that you forget how to draw and forget how to sketch and forget how to paint. It's that you forgot how to think in the ways that let you be creative. Because you don't have to do that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then it's going to come down to, okay, well now that it can do that part of the job, what are you as a human, going to offer if this this machine can do all of these tasks, well, the answer is going to come back to the same thing. It's going to be come down and do you want to get paid to think? When you get yeah. paid to think, that's when you've won. <laughs> okay, so yeah. you got you got to just keep remembering that the idea of uh, I think we keep coming back to this this entire podcast, and I think I, you know maybe it should be what the the topic of this this podcast is, but it's going to come down to thinking, like the way you think about. The design, the way it interacts, the way you understand the user base, the way you understand uh, the clientele, stakeholders, whoever's responsible, and the way you can deliver that—all of that's going to become really important. And if that means you lose, um, you know, the craft, then so be it. But the craft is a small part of the the trajectory of what your career is entailed or what your job entails. So don't freak out too much about it. Like, if it—you don't—I mean, obviously, for me, I'm never going to stop doing the craft. Even if AI can do it, I'll still do it myself because I love it. So that's why we do this. So I'm not going to ever stop doing that, Um, but I will use it. So, I mean, if if I do get the, like if AI ever gets to that point and I can bang out brands in like 10 seconds, then yeah, I'm going to use it, you know, like for a hundred percent because that's awesome. So that means I can focus more on big picture thinking and that's, that's even more exciting, right?
0: Can we circle back to this idea about watermarking photos or having some kind of Identification on anything created by AI, Um, because this model of artificially controlling an industry to preserve jobs is that we or it's a model we already have as 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 a human species. And I'll give you the example of of cheese. So like anyone can make Parmesan, but you cannot label it Parmigiano Reggiano in Europe unless it comes from Parma or regia, and is from cows and slash or is um, created with cows fed with wheat or hay or whatever cows eat, grown in those regions. So you can't label, you can't make Parmesan in uh, Ontario and call it Parmigiano-Reggiano. Same with feta. So like we have created these fake things, I guess, or like we have set up these boundaries. To protect the value of things which don't actually have any value, I guess. Um, So it's it's interesting. Uh, If there was the will, we could legislate AI out of out of business. It's
1: like it's the age old argument of nothing's original, right? Like it's like okay, well, if you take inspiration off Behance, what's the difference between doing that and then it just copying styles from other artists? You know, what it's spitting out isn't a direct copy of an art piece. You know, it's inspired by said designer, said artist, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the same argument could be made for human designs. I, I can tell you offhand how many times I've seen designs that I've definitely seen before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you it's know?
1: it is what it is. But at the, at the end of the day, like uh, the main the main thing I wanted to spit out for for any younger designers that are going into the industry and they're worried about it is to not be is to Utilize it as a tool, understand how to talk to it, understand how it works, and then um use that to your advantage because that's what it's there for. So try not to get too boggled down about it because it is incredible.
0: Yeah. Like if you're worried about it, the best thing you could do is learn about it.
1: Going back to that book about Bob Iger, but uh his last chapter was innovate or die. And I, I like I think that's how you have to kind of live in this industry is is either get with the program or, you know, get off the ship. It's it's a forever moving ship, so you have to understand how it how it operates, and uh, the industry changes every year. You know, AI is something that's been introduced, and you bet your bottom dollar that in five years' time, it's going to be a part of your arsenal or tool belt, or even sooner than that, maybe. And UX and UI, I mean, Eric, when we were in school, this was a vague subject. This was something that was not talked about, and now it's literally like the, the nervous system of the design body.
0: <laughs> you know what? One thing that kind of bothers me about the UX folks is that... That is like the culmination of a long process of of learning about design that simply went unnamed or by different names like it's so true wayfinding, wayfinding is just UX
1: do you remember it used to be it was is called interaction design
0: It was interaction design it was d human centered design human computer interaction um i mean it's 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 been around since the, since since eighty eight right or whatever year uh, uh Norman wrote his book.
1: You know, again, the yeah, the design of everyday things, I think, is vital to un- to. Uh, you have to read that one if you're a designer. You really got to understand it because the way Don Norman expresses, you know, the thought behind the critical thinking and the thought behind design thinking and how that operates and how it works and how the like, even if you take the first example out of that book and really dissect it down and how the umbrella is is poorly designed, it blows your mind. It's absolutely correct, and you're like, I would never have thought. And then you. Then the other thought is like, okay, well, how do you redesign the umbrella to make it better? Try and take that one on first. <laughs> it's a hard one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I, I something interesting about that book is uh, the original title was "The Psychology of Everyday Things," but he thought it that really? it was. Yeah, it, but um, I guess he thought that that would be too like abstract for people. They wouldn't connect it to the practical applications. That's interesting. I mean, UX is basically a social science, right? Um, It really is. It's like, it's behavioral science.
1: Like it's like understanding how people behave. So, you know, the little things like remembering to paying attention to the details, remembering to ask good questions, remembering to read over the briefs and make sure that you're actually understanding what they want. And then to start to doing the strategic thinking. then do the critical thinking, then do the design thinking, then design. And then when you design, you know obviously, it has to look good. Like, guys, you have to be a badass. Like, at the end of the day, you have to have good design because that's what gets you through the door. I've heard this a couple of times, like with singers. They'll be like, okay, well, you're a great singer. Cool. There's a lot of really good singers. you That's what got you here. You need to be a performer. You need to put on a show. How do you be the best entertainer you can be? Because singing just got you in. We, you need to be so much more than just a singer. And I hope that makes sense.
0: It makes Makes total sense. Everything is... There's a performative element to everything. Totally. Maybe that's something AI can't do yet.
1: Let's, let's hope it stays that way.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Tim, it's, it's been really great just catching up. Uh, is, is there anything we missed?
1: If anybody wants some extra tips or anything, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name's uh, Tim, H-O-A-R's last name. It's as bad as it sounds. So find me on LinkedIn, and I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Um, And uh, hopefully I get to see you guys at the portfolio review.
0: Awesome, Tim. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, It's been really helpful.
1: I'd love to do it. Love to talk again.
0: Thanks, Tim. Bye. All right. Thanks, man.